folks, you are listening to Always Be Watching. This is the podcast where we discuss what we've been watching. My name, Dan Barrett, joined by... Chris Yates. Chris, we've explained the name of the podcast. We've explained what we're here to do. We watch TV shows. We get together every now and then. We talk about them. Instead of just doing that at a pub and or cafe, we've decided to do it in front of microphones. Have we ever gone to a cafe before? Yeah, just only one time. Yeah. But it was the time when we were discussing this show. That's a good point. Because yeah. it was early in the morning and our <laughs> alcoholism knows a bound, which is no drinks before midday. That's true, I think. Yes. Some people say that. Some people live by that rule. Yes. Yeah. Some people. Yes. This is Always Be Watching. We're going to discuss what we've been watching recently because this is the foundation of our friendship and the podcast. Chris Yates, going to start with you first. Dude, what have you been watching? Well, Dan, it's funny you should ask. I have been watching a television show called The Detectorists. That's a retaining plate from the back of a mid-20th century socket mount. We'd have had a rod coming off here with a loop to attach it to the spring housing. Brilliant. I can cross that off my wish list. Knock it, mate. That's a piece of history right there. Small scrap of a life long forgotten. Yeah, it's easy for you to say you've got a piece in the British Museum. I told you about that. Where do you go from there? What do you aspire to? Is there a Nobel Prize for metal detecting? There should be. The Detectorist's British show? British show. Um, I did something a bit unorthodox with this. So this is currently playing on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. uh, And I have caught a little bits and pieces here and there on the comedy channel. And I thought I would jump straight into the on-demand iView style, Mm. um, which was only had available season three. Now, this is a show that I keep on hearing good things about and I always mean to watch, have not done it to date. Big mistake or good mistake? <laughs> good, I, I would argue probably not a mistake uh, at all. I mean, it's an okay show. I think uh, it really fail. Uh, it, it sort of falls into the trap of that Ricky Gervais, uh, we're kind of going to pretend this is a comedy, but it's actually like just a bunch of people being sort of sad about stuff. So it's British. <laughs> yes, it's British. It stars, uh, non, not coincidentally, Mackenzie Crook, who is the British Dwight, as, as I like to call him, from The Office. Um, I can't even actually remember his name now, such has The American Office overtaken my uh, love of The Office. Do you remember what his name is? I've seen Precious Little UK Office through my time. What? Look, I know. I've seen maybe two episodes, and I know I've definitely seen the final Christmas special. Anyway, uh, that's probably the worst thing of it all. But anyhow... um, You're right to dismiss me. (laughs) Whatever. I I, I will pack my bag and leave. So, look, it was an okay show. I think it's it's all right. Maybe I'm missing some of the character development because I've jumped in at the third season. That would make sense. Um, But really, uh, the only reason... I'm not here to talk trash about stuff because I love things and I like being positive and my days of being a trash talker are mostly over except for all the trash I just talked about the detectorists really the, th- the thing that disappointed me was that you know I like I like shows and things damn where not much happens where very little goes on maybe people say a few little things they have a cup of tea it's one of the reasons I really like British shows Lots of tea drinking. But the, the, the season three of The Texas started with a bit too much plot as far as I was concerned. There's like, the, uh, uh, you know. Is this plot that will carry through the season? Yes, though? clearly. So is it kind of just laying the groundwork for a season to come? Yeah, and I just, I'm, I, don't, I don't care. I'm not interested. Is, sorry, did you just jump on to season three? Yeah. Like you didn't find the previous seasons to go back to or anything? Well, no, I thought about it and I probably should have to do it justice in this conversation. But now, is it possible... And this is just because this is a show that I've heard good things about, sure. and I've been curious about going and actually investigating and watching. 
Is it something where you feel that maybe because you jumped in on season three, you've just kind of missed something? And is there the potential there that there's something within the framework of the show that you kind of like that you wouldn't mind exploring further? Or is it just, it's no good? No, it's interesting you say that. There's something about the show that I would very much like to um, just explore. The reason I'll keep watching the show and we'll probably go back and watch the other ones is because of one of the supporting players who is a uh, actor by the name of um, Simon Farnaby. Do you know who this guy is? I do not. He is a writer. He wrote um, and uh, co- he co-star. Oh no, he guest spotted and popped up a fair bit in the Mighty Boosh. He co-wrote um, Mind Horn and starred in that with the other um, Mighty Boosh guy. Um, that's not Vince. Yeah, name Noir. Name dropped out of my mind. He co-wrote the film Paddington Two, which is actually really good. I've heard very positive things. It's really really funny, and he's worked with, uh, which he did, wrote with um, Paul King, who was the director of every episode of Mighty Boosh, who was on the, and he was an assistant director on Gareth Meringhi's Dark Place, which I've been revisiting and is just mind blowingly good. Still holds up very well. But of course, like I'm saying all this, like I'm an expert. Of course, I'm not. I, I saw this guy, this goofy looking um simon farnaby dude and i was like man i got i remember where this guy's from he was absolutely just like he was actually so funny in this show in the detectorist that it kind of maybe is what made the rest of it seem a little bit dour just because how good he is so worth watching for him worth watching everything else he's ever been involved in i think and i'm a bit of a new fan of um this guy's particular work so glad i took a punt on the detectorist not a really adventurous punt really because i like most of that stuff um, and even though I didn't love the show, I will continue watching it, I think. Okay. Well, that's a positive thing. I think I'm going to check this out. I think you will. Yeah, I think you should like it. Probably you, sh- you should probably watch The Office first mm. um, to just get <laughs> catch up with the rest of the... Uh, like be- before I catch up with the rest of television? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe so. Uh, now, just to go back on something you said, and this is just an advisory from Always Be Watching. If you come down with a case of guest spotting yourself, you should go and see a doctor. Yes, that's very good. Uh, yep. So anyway, that's enough for me. It's available on the ABC iView from season three, at least. It's called The Detectorists, and it's on ABC Comedy at random points during the week and night. Dan. Now, I also feel that direct Detectorists may also be on either your Netflix or Stan. I have seen it around somewhere. Oh, really? I'll check that. Maybe that's where I should go to watch the early mm. episodes. At least I believe I've seen it there. It's, it's, it is, and it is over, I think. It only went for three. I think this is the last season that I'm watching now, so it's kind of a catch-up thing. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. 2017, I think, was the last year. Uh, which brings me to just something that I've had in the top of my head. Dan, what have you been watching? Chris Yates, I've been watching a TV show which is premiering this week. Season three is premiering this week. Oh. The show has premiered previously. A show called The Handmaid's Tale. If I'm going to change things, I'm going to need allies. Allies with power. Blessed be the fruit. Chris Yates, have you ever watched The Handmaid's Tale? Uh, no. I feel that you would quite enjoy it. This is a series of which I think benefits quite heavily from the fact it's a zeitgeist program. This is very much reflective of the thoughts and concerns that people are having in the wider world, particularly in a US framework. It's a yes. US show and the uh, politics of uh, women sort of finding a sense of disempowerment, which is taking place at the moment. And we've seen this evidence in the last two or three weeks with, yes. you know, like the abortion laws that are coming into place and uh, the heartbeat law, I believe, is the way that they're phrasing it. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, it's all gross and terrible. 
But Handmaid's Tale, when the show started, was they started filming before Trump was elected. Midway through filming that first episode, Trump gets elected and they're like, what are we making here? This is <laughs> concerning. Yeah. And so when that show debuts, hit very much people's fears about the way that the US could go and the rise of a far-right conservative movement really sort of gathering some steam and really subjugating women and, you know, various minorities. Of course. And, I'm, I'm, you know, even though I haven't watched it, of course, I'm aware of the show and I sort of am following the themes and yeah. um, very much it's, you know, it's it's been talked about a lot. It was a big, uh, it was a big hit, right? Yeah. So, it's a... Um, it's a successful hit for Hulu. It's a critical success, and yep. it's a very buzzy program. In terms of viewership, I'd imagine it's probably not doing like Game of Thrones numbers yeah, by any yeah, means sure. for Hulu, but it's a modest, decent-sized hit, especially for Hulu. Now, I think this is a very good program, but it's not without some problems. So, first season comes out of the gate, just smashes it completely. Three phenomenal episodes, and I'm like, this is just you know, tour de force television. Then there was a massive lull in the middle of that season right. and really came back again quite strong for the you know final sort of maybe third three episodes. Was there a reason for the lull? Well, it kind of felt like they had... It's The first season is very much based on the book and I kind of felt that there was a lot of... Uh, it, it was one of these things where the episode order was maybe longer than the amount of story they really needed to fill for the season. I'm a big fan of economy when yeah, it comes to storytelling. I know what you mean. And I don't like things where people are just really chewing up scenery and you can talk about it being character building but if there's no actual real substance being given to characters really you're just spending time with the characters you're not really doing anything of substance with you're them you're just kind of stretching it out kind of stretching it out and for a thing which isn't a limited series but it's planned to be an ongoing series you don't necessarily need to have moments where you're you know luxuriating in the characters because you've got an extended series where you're going to be doing this through so don't waste my time with a few episodes where you're not doing enough to justify your existence sure so I kind of felt the first season was a little bit guilty of that. Okay, it was still kind of it was world building to a certain degree, but I kind of felt there was just a bit too much of a slow pace in that middle. Second season came along, and I think that was a much more successful season. It had a lot more to say and do, and I feel that particularly in the back half of the season, it was all go. But where the first season had the lull in the middle, I think it started out very slow for that second season. Right, yeah. It took three episodes before it found its mojo and really just like just delivered for the rest of the season. Ends on a bit of a cliffhanger and lots of hardcore fans of the show were... I'm going to spoil it because, you know, All right, it's out spoiler. there. It's been around for a while. Okay. So within the series, the main conceit is, is that you've got this character named June. Oh, sorry, it's Offred, but her name's June. She's got a daughter that's been separated as, like, the, you know, the business has gone down. Right. Okay. June finds herself working as a handmaid in this house. And part of her duties is that she is trying to be impregnated by the lord of the house in order to give the, you know, the... What's, what's the, you know, what's the lord's, like, female counterpart in the house? The lady? The lady of the house? I think no, that might be right. I don't know. Yeah. But the lady of the house, because essentially there's a lot of fertility issues because of something that's happened. We believe it's probably nuclear related, but we don't really know. Lots of fertility issues going around. Uh, she can't have a child, so it's June's role to birth the child and then she will pass that child on. So in the second season, she ends up having the child and she's also got the daughter that she had to, that she was parted ways with. Sure. Who's also as part of like the same sort of township community. 
at the end of the first season, she's found escape. She's handed the girl over to someone else that her daughter that she's just given birth to. Um, over to like another ha- uh, handmaid who's now gone off to Canada with the child and June's made the decision to go back and rescue her daughter. Fans of the show are like, why would you turn back? There's two reasons to turn back. One, if she didn't turn back, show's over pretty quickly. Second thing, yeah, that's true. Yeah, good <laughs> like point. really the entire series, yeah, like, good, that's good it. Point, good point. Yeah, she's off in Canada having a good time then. Second thing is that she's got a commitment to her daughter of whom she loves and has a strong commitment to. There's no way that, as Sally Field told us, not without my daughter, (laughs) she's not going to leave her daughter behind. No. So the entire third season is about her effectively thinking, look, I know if I go back, I'm going to die in this scenario, but I need to do what I can to get back my daughter. Can I tell you what my theory is for the uh, infertility? Mm. Microwaving dinners and then eating them on your lap in front of television. Is that the infertility issues that are currently plaguing your household? <laughs> <laughs> you know full well, there's un- 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 unfortunately no problem there. There are many, chil- uh, many children many running children around that household. In my house, anyway. Sorry, I was thinking about that for a while. Continue. Mm. So, this third season, as it kicks off, is yep. very much her getting back and it's about resetting the series as a status quo. Sure. Now, I'm watching this and the first season back, first episode back, I haven't watched beyond that. And some critics have seen the first six episodes of the season. Mm. And some of them are a little bit negative about what's going on. Right. But also some of these same critics were also negative at the end of the second season, which I kind of thought was important and actually spoke to what the character's all about. And sure. it was yeah, an integral sort of part some of Some of these critics would probably be negative about their own mums. They probably would be, Chris. Not here at Always Be Watching, no, but no. very positive people. Very positive. So I think the third season gets off to a very good start, okay? But there is a little bit sort of too much table setting. Mm. So it's about her getting back and it's about her being put into a status quo. But by the end of the first episode, they actually do upset the status quo a fair bit. And I wasn't expecting that while I was watching the episode. And I don't want to spoil it because people haven't seen the episode yet as we speak. Yes. Okay, but it will be debuting on Hulu in about two days' time. And okay. then on, in Australia and SBS On Demand the day afterwards... By the end of the week, people have had the chance to see the first two episodes in Australia, the first three in the US, and it feels like it's a return to form. Like, the series hadn't really quite gone away, but it feels like it's a return to the form that we expect of the series. Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I have this one question, which is what I've been trying to lead to with all of this, (laughs) which is that for a show which is very much tapping into the zeitgeist, uh, like the idea of women sort of losing their power and their voice, the show's found its success because it taps into that. But it's also entering season three of something that feels like it's probably not more than four or five seasons. So if the series at this point is looking for an endgame, it probably needs to reach a point where the June character is finding her voice back and is engaged in some sense of rebellion, some sort of uprising to take down the status quo. And even if she's not directly responsible for what brings down the society as it's built in the US, she still needs to play some sort of an active role within that or else the show doesn't really have any dramatic narrative heft. Do you think the show could take on an, perhaps an instructional uh, message to try and <laughs> snap everyone out of their malaise? And this is drive? kind of what I'm thinking about because the show, if it sort of abandons the idea of women losing their voice, then what is the show about? And maybe it could be something which is, as you say, instructional, something which actually- Or might, aspirational, aspirational at least. Yeah, yeah. Inspirational. Inspirational. That's right. Might be right. Way to approach it. Yes. If the show does that, I think it's definitely in very good stead. But I'm interested in this third season to see what sort of shape it's taking in terms of its long-term narrative because it needs to do that because if it keeps on just wallowing, then the show's not moving forward and progressing. But also, 
I don't know, is it going to lose the audience if it actually does have an end game in mind? Yeah, sure. And it's, yeah, it's interesting for a program to be so compromised by the reality of what's going on around it. It yeah. will be very interesting to see how they play that out. And it's unique. So it's, yeah. it's very reflective of what's happening around in the world. But I can't think of a show that has benefited so greatly from, you know, this kind of thing happening in the world. Yeah. Horrible, horrible things happening. Great yeah. news for the producers of the show. May you live in interesting times, <laughs> I think is the phrasing. Excellent. Well, yes, yeah. obviously very... Uh, this this is a positive uh, review. So that's uh, The Hermes Tale on SBS in Australia uh, and Hulu on your devices. Um, well, in the US. In the, yeah, obviously, we'd never have Hulu here in Australia. No, no, no. I wouldn't even... I, I literally don't even know what it is. Um, <laughs> Dan, have you been watching anything else you might want to talk about? Look, Chris, you know what? We're going to upset the format a little bit, and it will become abundantly clear why when we get to it. <laughs> but I have seen something else, and I'm going to talk about a movie. Oh, righto. Gosh darn, I think is the phrase you were about <laughs> to say. Shivers. I went to the motion picture house and I saw a tiny little film called Godzilla 2. How many of these things are there? 17 and counting. That's messed up. <laughs> Rodan. Kidora. Oh my. I love the idea of this. Uh, so, uh... Godzilla 2 what is it what, in, what What? Godzilla film is it a sequel to well it's the sequel to the 2014 film Godzilla right US movie right and I did not care for the US Godzilla I feel like it's not the one with Matthew Broderick I feel like that was a bit earlier than 2014 I believe you'll find that was 1998 <laughs> I don't hate that movie but it's not a good movie and it's not a Godzilla movie uh, no I've got a lot of problem with that movie. well there's no there's no nobility to the monster in that one no no it's a lot of, there's a lot wrong with that movie. <laughs> uh, the only thing I remember about the uh, Godzilla Matthew Broderick movie, other than Ferris Bueller was in it, was that it had um, a song which was Puff Daddy and uh, Jimmy Page who were recreating a song that Schoolie D had done some years before that Jimmy Page had sued Schoolie D into poverty over. And um, one day I'm going to do a whole podcast series about my feelings about that, Dan. But um, can you remember anything? There was, it was a big soundtrack. Do you remember anything else? Off? Look, so we're talking about Godzilla the album, as I recall. <laughs> and do I remember it? You betcha. Okay, so I don't really remember it that well. No. But I do remember the thing that I think was actually like the big song from the album was because I remember there was a film clip and they had like moments from the movie cut in interstitially into it. Oh, of course. And so they had the wallflowers playing in an apartment in New York City as Godzilla's like stomping around the city (laughs) and like the roof and stuff's falling over on top of them. Classy stuff, classy stuff. Mm. And wallflowers, bit of trivia, uh, the lead singer I think was Dylan's son. Uh, Jerry Dylan or or the more famous Bob Dylan? Uh, no, Kevin Dylan Kevin from the TV Dylan. show Entourage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Who yeah. also very very talented. Uh, um, maybe the most talented. Maybe the most talented Dylan. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Godzilla two. Tell me about Godzilla it. 2. I'm vaguely interested. Okay, so I quite like the idea of watching Godzilla movies, but I haven't seen that many of them. Was the Rock in Godzilla one? No. Oh, I'm even less interested now. Uh, right, okay, go on. Sorry. Justifiably so. I haven't really seen that many of the Godzilla films. I've seen lots of the original th- films from what they call the Showa era of mm-hmm. Godzilla. Okay, but I have, which is like the real classic ones with lots of people in like rubber suits going around. And yeah. when you think about Godzilla, it's definitely from the era of films that I've seen. Sure. 
So I've seen a bunch of those. I haven't really seen anything sort of uh, past 1980, but I kind of like that aesthetic of the like 70s going into the early 80s. There's a very specific look that I really dig about, like the miniatures. And yeah, yeah. That sort of and even the film looks beautiful and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Back then. Now, what I like about those films is that there's like a tangible quality to it. Like there feels like there's some artistry involved in it. And sure. like it really has like that obviously big fake monsters going around. Okay, but I'm sitting here watching Godzilla 2, King of the Monsters, where a lot of the actual monsters that are featured in it are the monsters that were created through this Showa era of Godzilla making from Japan. And so they're reimagining the characters to make sense in a big computer animated you know, Hollywood spectacle. Sure. Now, while they're the same monsters, they're very much computer animated. And you're looking at them going, well, they're just big computer animated things on the screen. They don't really feel real in any sort of, you know, significant way. And I don't know, it just kind of loses something. And I'm not saying that all computer special effects necessarily are things that don't feel real and tangible. Sure. Sometimes that stuff actually looks amazing and, you know, it's a bit Mm. eye-popping. But not in this. No. Like, you watch, say, the uh, Marvel films with, like, Rocket Raccoon. Sure, yeah. Rocket's... He's there. Yeah, he's he real. feels like he's a real character and actually Absolutely. engaging it at all. Like, these monsters don't feel like they're really present. And it feels very much like I'm acting in front of a green screen with... And yeah. the difference between Rocket Raccoon and Godzilla, there's a size difference. Yes. So, <laughs> Rocket Raccoon, it doesn't matter how good your special effects are. You can only engage with the creature to a certain degree. Rocket Raccoon, you can high-five and actually yeah, do stuff yeah. with. Godzilla's a big leg in front of you, and you're looking up, and it's like, hey, big guy, and he's like, and waves down at you. <laughs> that doesn't happen. But you just can't do anything with him. So I'm watching these things that just look fake and stupid. I'm like, well, these other films look fake and stupid as well, but they were kind of fun. Yeah. The, the new movie, it's not fun. No fun. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. Now, there's an extended monster universe that they're creating here. Great. 2014's Godzilla. 2019's Godzilla 2 King of the Monsters, 2017's uh, Kong Skull Island. Now, Kong Skull Island was a little bit more fun because they set that in the 70s. And? Had Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, oh no. Which one am I thinking of with The Rock? Oh, Rampage. Yeah. Which was based on a video game. Unrelated. And brilliant. But anyway, Yeah, sure. (laughs) But that was kind of fun because they looked at it textually and thought, well, we're in the 70s. Let's make it feel like Apocalypse Now. Sure. they had lots of very obvious homages to Apocalypse now through it and kind of got I think a bit that, boring I think by I the think I would probably like that. Yeah. I think that sounds like something I might actually watch. It had something going for it. And I also Why thought, is it in the same universe? Uh, so there's a large corporation oh, that's been okay. tracking these monsters. Of course. It's a whole thing. So, Godzilla 2, King of the Monsters. In summary, I really wanted to like it, but it's just it just sits there in a way that some big Hollywood movies do. But if I'm going to make a recommendation, mm-hmm. jump onto your various streaming services and see if you can find Shin Godzilla, okay, which I think may have a different name depending on where they've sourced the um, movie from, which is a film from like maybe about two years ago. Uh, it's a Japanese film. The guy that play, uh, made Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, wow. Okay, he directed this movie. And what it is, much in the same way that Godzilla was an allegory for the you know, nuclear Nuc- issues yeah. of the uh, late 50s. Well, you know, they were talking about it in the 50s, you know, yes. mostly previous because, you know, end of World War II and whatnot. Uh, this was looking at the nuclear issues of the Fukushima uh, explosion. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, disaster Very- that took place a few years back. So what the Godzilla, Shin Godzilla movie is doing is it's looking at the way that government bureaucracy is in no way capable of being able to handle a disaster that breaks oh, out. Oh, yeah. And uses a monster movie in order to actually demonstrate this. Very interesting. 
send Shin Godzilla. Godzilla's barely even a presence in it. Yeah, Instead, well. the rest of it is just government department after government department failing to do anything about it, and then other departments being assigned the task of looking after the Godzilla disaster. Sounds administrative. It's very administrative, <laughs> and it's a really interesting-looking movie, and yeah. it's got a point to it. And I look at this American Godzilla film, and it's like, well, why can't you be Shin Godzilla? Don't you have anything to say? <laughs> yeah, surely, at this, in this day and age, surely there's something you can think of scratching your heads. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, it's like, I'm not saying don't go and see it. If you're after something really stupid, and you're in the mood for stupid, like, you're not going to have a terrible time with it, but it just kind of feels like nothing. And I'd also say go watch Rampage. You obviously haven't seen it. I can tell by the way you're dismissing it outright. Look, A, I haven't seen it, and B, you can't just go out and see it because it's still playing <laughs> movies a few years ago, Chris. Last year? I think you'll find it on uh, many of the services. Yeah, sure. Anyway. Uh, excellent. All right. Well, thanks for okay. that, Dan. So, we've had one sort of half uninspired uh, look at The Detectorists. Yeah. We've got an enthusiastic Handmaid's Tale 3 from me. Yeah. Uh, I've got a equally uninspired, you know, Godzilla 2, King of the Monsters. I know where you're heading with this. We've got to save the best for last. Chris, has there been anything that you have seen in the last couple of days which has completely wowed <laughs> you, knocked your socks off, made you think there's a problem with the vents in this here building because my hat keeps on blowing right off. Oh, Dan. It's just, you're spelling it out so well. Is there anything you've watched recently that qualifies for all three of these? Uh, Dan, on Friday, I went and saw a little film celebrating its 30th anniversary with the director present called Young Einstein. This is it, Bert. A thing that'll put us Einsteins into the history books. Beer. Beer? What is beer, Dad? The secret of brewing beer is an Einstein tradition. My father taught it to me. He taught it to his father. And his father taught it to his father's father. The problem is, as is with the problem with all beer, is that it lacks bubbles. Well, why don't you put bubbles in it? Try as it may, mankind has never succeeded in putting bubbles in beer. Now, Chris, it's funny that you mention this because I also attended a screening of Young <laughs> no, Einstein no, no, with the director no, no. present. I know. It was very fun. It was it was nice to go on a date with you, I've got to say. It's been <laughs> a long time. I think since a, it was a, last time we went was some uh, probably an Avengers movie or something like that. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yes, we were both lucky enough to go to the very, very rare uh, public appearance of Yahoo Sirius himself, a.k.a. Greg Peed. Um, uh, talking at this uh, at the beautiful Hayden what's the name of that cinema? The Hayden Orpheum Hayden in Sydney Hayden Orpheum in Sydney beautiful old cinema Now you've not been to that cinema before? Well, no I hadn't it's, and it was a long way away and I'll never ever go back there because it took me an hour and a half to get home on the train uh, I assumed it would be in the inner west um, just because everything else is but anyway it was just an amazing experience it was such a great thing to see Yahoo I was glad um, we took you, you uh, your advice and sat quite quite close to the front so we were able to see the uh the fine features the of his face and the uh, the way that hair is aged over time uh look i was expecting him to be a jaded uh cranky old man and he just wasn't at all yeah i wasn't sure what to expect from yahoo serious because no one's heard from him like after mr accidents yes mr accident his third film yeah that mm. he sort of gave up on after that i think yeah he's just kind of more or less vanished from the public eye so i didn't quite know what would really see but he came out in a very uh baggy peach suit yes he looked very fresh he definitely he had that sort of just like 
Uh, you know, I know a few of these dudes who are just like older surfer guys who are in their 60s and just kind of love life and are a bit, uh, you know, a bit uh, a bit adventurous, a bit crazy still. but Eccentric. Eccentric, yes. But, uh, yeah, he just, had, he just seemed to have a really sort of good attitude. Yeah. No, no, he was great. And his daughter was celebrating her 11th birthday that day, so he made a big deal about that. Yes, I have a theory that one of the reasons that they got him over the line to go out to it was because he'd explained how his daughter had only ever seen the serious movies, as he described them, (laughs) uh, as he labelled them, uh, on DVD. So I can imagine he would have been quite excited about the idea of watching them with an audience, and especially a rapturously receptive audience, which they were. Everyone was was there for it. Yeah, everyone was really there. And I think that there wasn't anyone that was just sort of train spotting for the... uh, you know, oh, we haven't seen this weirdo in a while. Everyone was like, I love this movie. I can't believe I'm here. It was really cool. I don't think I've seen that movie. I, like, I watched it a lot as a kid. Yes. But same. I don't think I saw it more than once as an adult. So I know that I saw it in my early 20s, so early 2000s. Yeah, and probably me too. And probably not when I was at a point where I would appreciate the sort of the, the stuff that I appreciate about it now. You know, yeah. it was probably still a bit too soon and it was probably. So, so it held up for you? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. Like, I mean, it's a stupid kids' film with heaps of slapstick. There's not too much that can go wrong with it. Um, I did remember it sort of, you know, if we're going to be film critics about it, which is a pretty douchey thing to do at this stage. But, I mean, it gets a little... It's a little slow towards the end. But um, it was. it's it's absolutely... Like, the, the first 40 minutes is just a, a laugh riot fest and just, I thought, had a lot of great moments and was just really, really funny. Yeah, so it does grind to a like almost a halt sort yeah, of towards really, the end. It, it does sort of stop. But you can't say it has a slow end because while it's certainly slow to get to the end, the last five minutes is just suddenly Magic. like, oh, we have to end it. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, bang, bang, bang. Here we go. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. brilliantly so. Um, we noticed a few cameos that were, or, you know, would have been bit parts at the time, mm. but uh, people that have been a bit more famous, such as, um, well, John Howard, the actor John Howard, not the um, Prime Minister, of yeah. course. As the Ross McLennan song goes, John Howard, in quotes, side brackets, the actor. <laughs> The actor, yeah. Um, yeah, he had a uh, he has, he has a big role as the villain, mm. um, and then there were a few in the uh, in the insane asylum. There were a few other comedians, such as um, the dude who was the Sandman. I can never remember his name. Yeah, nor can I. The dude who was Flacco. That Flacco, I, guess I can't remember can't his name. Can't remember his name either. Uh, radio host Jono and Dano. Yeah, so there was a few. Uh, there Georgie was, Parker at the end. Georgie Parker at the end. There were quite. A, there was a, a number of uh, Australian celebrities that we weren't quite expecting. I think, uh, which was I don't know. No, fun. It's <laughs> kind of pointless. And I mean, we're there to see Yahoo Serious. Let's not beat around the bush. It was a very uh, excellent experience to get to see him like that. Yeah, the film, it's definitely absurdist and it's a lot... Because I always remember it was a little bit absurdist, so that yeah. wasn't a surprise watching it. What surprised me was seeing how much Yahoo Serious... Well, sorry, the Albert Einstein character in it <laughs> is a cartoonish character. Yes. Like, it's really played up. Like, he mugs to the camera in a way that is very endearing and it works to create, like, this relationship with the kid viewers, which I was when I watched it. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Cartoonish is just the best way to describe it. And, uh, you know... That gets said a lot, but it's extremely accurate in this case. Yeah. And I also, I also, I mean, it helped having him talk about it at the start, I guess. But I definitely got a lot more of the sense of it as a sort of a one man idea and fr- and, a, and a labor of love and a hard a hard fought sort of indie film. Which I guess as a kid you don't really, I didn't appreciate that sort of angle of it as much oh, when I saw it as a kid. I. But um, that was very apparent watching it back. I think. So in my mind now, there's maybe two great Australian movies. So there's this. <laughs> And we'd both agree the other one's the Foot Shot Flats movie. 
I, I, I've watched that recently, actually, and that really does hold up. It I, actually I, does? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll bring that to the table one day, I uh, think. Please do. I'm desperate to see that. It was very good. Uh, we should watch that together. Um, <laughs> but we'll it, see if the Orpheum will do a screening for us. Yeah. It's definitely made me want to check out Reckless Kelly, which I've never seen. I want to, I want to watch that now for some of its... It, it's got a lot of social justice kind of ideas, which is interesting as far as... Uh, it's very anti-banks and... Um, which I only know from Yahoo talking about it, or, or Greg as we now know him. Well, no, we don't, because during the night, he only went by the name Yahoo Sirius. No, oh, that's true. Yes, he wasn't introduced as Greg at all. The other weird thing that I noticed through that is, and we could tell from the way that people were applauding and engaging as the film started off, is the actress who played the Marie Curie character, and I don't know the actress's name. No, me neither, which is terrible. Enough. However, she was clearly in attendance because, you know, it's the way that everyone in the back corner were behaving anytime she was on screen doing stuff. I had had some lady when there was like... There's a shot of her getting a bit sexy in her lingerie or something like that, and one of the one of the ladies obviously near that actor <laughs> saying, "Get your eyes off it" or something like that. It was very, very, <laughs> it was very, very funny. So good. Uh, uh, yeah, it was very interesting that she wasn't uh, celebrated being there a bit, and I thought, yeah, well, not even like she wasn't not even acknowledged. acknowledged. No, that's right. We had to sort of figure it out, right? Because even if she's not the focal point for the evening, like surely at some point someone says, "Oh, and also in the audience we have." I, I, Odile, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Odile Leclesio. If you had a French accent, it'd probably go much smoother much, for you. Much better. Um, but yeah, surely you do the customary wave, and then she stands up, takes a you know polite bow, and then you get on with things. Yeah, I, my only guess would have been that she was maybe asked. Uh, oh, she's also in the movie Backsliding, which is interesting. I remember that movie, and I'm the, not sure um, I that film. And yeah, a couple of other films too. Um, a Twelfth Night from 1987. Um, I thought maybe she said she didn't want to be. Maybe she didn't want to be a part of it. Maybe I don't maybe. know. Maybe that's yeah, interesting. Anyway, a shame and uh, yes, a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, a bit of a bit disrespectful if it was done without considering her. I thought because mm. um, definitely, it's not like she has a small part in the film. She definitely and and is very good. It makes makes you know is very enjoyable. Her character I think is great. She is very good in that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. a shame not to celebrate her. So shame on you if you neglected her. For any reason other than her not wanting to be involved in the spotlight. So, it's 2019. If you haven't seen Young Einstein for a while, <laughs> if you've got some kids... Like, it's, I'm not, like, it worked for us in a cinema, like, with the energy going on. Sure. I suspect that if I just popped it on at home, I'd probably get a bit bored with it after the first half hour. But yeah. if you've got some kids around, like, give it a go and watch it through, because yeah. I think everyone's going to dig it. Yeah, they might get right the way to the end. Uh, the other thing, of course, was he talked a lot about the music, and the, the soundtrack is very important. People were very excited to hear about the soundtrack, and there were some great anecdotes about that. And he did threaten, as well, there's two other bits that are, I think, even newsworthy. Mm. One, that he was um, writing his... Uh, Writing a new film based on inspiration he got from a conversation with um, Clint Eastwood at the opening of Warner Brothers Movie World, where he was also in attendance, which was so, a great anecdote. Come on. So, I feel this film has been in the works for a little while now. <laughs> it probably has. Mm. Um, and also that um, he's also planning on a... He, he talked quite a bit about extra footage from Young Einstein and, and, and threatened the idea of a uh, some kind of extended version of it or a director's cut perhaps coming out in some time, which I also just made me kind of giggle and also get very excited at the same time. I don't think I want to see that. <laughs> there was some of the scenes sounded funny. One of, one of them he was talking about that had a dog in it or something. That's fine. It sounded like, pretty good. Let the film be. <laughs> Fair enough. And I don't even know if you can watch this film in any way. Well, I honestly don't know. No, we 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 kind of had a bit of a look. It certainly wasn't on any of the obvious things. You could probably... um. Maybe you can buy a DVD of it, but I wouldn't even I wouldn't even know if that's possible. Could well be that it's one of these ones that has f- slipped through the cracks. 
I can't help but feel there's a DVD of it out in the world. Yeah, I mean, I don't even can't even say I've actually ever remember physically seeing a DVD of it, even though probably just because I watched it on VHS a million times. Well, I know that I saw it in my early 20s, so I would presume that being right at the dawn of DVD, maybe I rented it from somewhere. It's possible. It's possible. Anyway, we're very grateful for Yahoo for getting out there and doing it. Um, We have certainly talked about him a lot and over the years, probably more than most people. And so it was very nice to get that experience. And it was gracious. And he was so just lovely and gracious. And I'm really glad he did it. And I'm very, very glad that I left the house for a rare occasion and was a part of it. And thanks for for coming with me, Dan. Absolutely. Chris, let's get out of here. This has been Always Been Watching. Uh, my name's Chris Yates. I'm Dan Barrett. You can find Always Be Watching and podcasts just like the one you've just listened to at alwaysbewatching.com. There's a newsletter you can sign up to. And with that, you can learn about TV stuff. A very good newsletter. I always read it, Dan. I love it. Yeah, that's not what you said the other night. <laughs> said there's too many of them <laughs> every day. How do I keep up with them? Yeah, well, you know. It's 10 stories a day. No more. Yeah. Guys, this has been Always Be Watching. It has been a pleasure talking about what we've been watching. We'll see you next week. I'm a Tasmanian. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have that quote, please. Oh, please. We're definitely dropping that in there. <laughs>